here's a question that I, I, I have, because you mentioned earlier that the, um, the people push back against agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so if agriculture, like, like forgetting the, um, the reason, the other resources, but just talking about food, if we were to get rid of agriculture, (laughs) what the heck would we do? Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brian Black. In today's episode, we've got yet another uh, non-ag folk to to join us for another conversation. Uh, This is Kara. I'm going to let her give her own introduction before we get started, though. Hi, I am Kara, and I'm 31, and I live in Vancouver Island, on Vancouver Island in BC, (laughs) Canada. Um, So there's lots of agriculture around me, and like many people, I dream of owning owning a farm (laughs) one day, but um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Awesome. <laughs> and and like, you know, like we were talking about before the podcast, you'd be surprised how many people come on here and say, I want to be a farmer. What does that take? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's funny that, that you're from Canada. I have a, a surprising followership in, in, in Canada, but this is despite not being Canadian, but <laughs> Um, awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to, to connect. I, I, you know, we, like most of my guests met on Reddit. So it, it's, it's always, a, you know, it's always a fun, if I, it's always fun, fun, I can't talk today. It's always a fun place on Reddit, being able to find people that have an interest in things that you like to talk about. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about Reddit, sorry, not to cut yeah, you yeah. off, but what's cool about uh, Reddit to me is that like, until you actually get on a call, you have no idea, like, anything about that person is so anonymous right right so, so you, you hop on a call and you're like oh that's not at all what I expected but okay right no exactly <laughs> and that's the funny thing is people always kind of question like why do you take people off of Reddit? like don't you like to know who you're going to have a call with I was like no that's the most fun part like you know my, my podcast is is open to everybody and so I like to bring on people that I don't know who they are that way I can I can learn about them with the audience mm-hmm. so. yeah that's that's ideal it's so much fun <laughs> yeah so for today's conversation, uh, you had mentioned that uh, you have interest in, you know, eventually owning a farm, you know, being a farmer mm-hmm. as some kind of small operation. But other than that, you have no other experience with agriculture. Is that right? Well, I mean, not really. I've done volunteering on a farm a couple times and, of course, gardening. Okay. And I've like visited uh, permaculture farms to kind of check out that whole situation and stuff. But nice. as far as direct experience, not a, not a lot, like planting raspberries and stuff for, <laughs> for farm volunteers. Nice. And cuddling goats. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> so then I have to ask, what is the most appealing thing about agriculture to you? What makes you want to be a farmer? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think that really what it is, what's what's such a big draw to me is the idea of stepping out of the system that we're in mm-hmm. and really just like, I guess, connecting to history, connecting to our ancestors, connecting to the earth and sort of like, I just, I think that a lot of what today's world quote unquote is, is, is just kind of a lot of silly nonsense that makes us miserable. And I think, I think farming is the antithesis of that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that actually kind of falls along this, this theme that I've been pushing really hard with the, with the podcast that agriculture, I personally believe serves as a bridge between, 
you know, society and nature that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of our, our most direct link to the natural world while still being able to be civilized. You know, we're, we're not just, you know, sitting in a forest, you know, foraging or, or hanging out with, with, you know, the wild animals, which I mean, that's fine too, if that's your thing, <laughs> but agriculture gives us an organized way to behave, you know, naturally within, within the environment. And it, it kind of gives us an obligation to take care of both the environment and our civilization through the same means. And, that's mm-hmm. and ourselves too. Right. Like it's such hard work that if you're not taking care of yourself, it's, it's just not going to happen. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a big thing is, you know, the, the mental health of, of those involved in agriculture is something that's often overlooked, but it's one of the most important aspects of the job. Um, mm-hmm. I, I actually have a friend who runs a podcast all about the mental health of farmers and it's, it's, oh. it's an amazing show. <laughs> oh, what's it called? It's uh, oh, what is it called? It's um, I want to say it's it's uh, hold on one second. Let me let me check it because I always <laughs> I always say it wrong. I want to make sure I get it right that way I can properly give him the the attention he deserves. Credit, yeah, yeah. It's uh, ag state of mind. That's what it is. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, okay yeah, I'm gonna look at that after. <laughs> yeah, the the host Jason, he's awesome, dude. He's super nice, and he's very he's he's like a mental health um. Uh, I, I, I guess yeah, he's he's a doctor of of sorts in in that in that department, but he's also a farmer, so he understands both sides of it really well. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! He's oh, awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. It's a big thing for personal health, for you know, the for the health of of those that that benefit from the food we grow, and for the environment. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of hands relying on those people growing the food. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I I have a question about about agriculture then, um, (laughs) which I guess is the point. Um, So I hear a lot like uh, from different groups, often like vegans, different groups who, Mm -hmm. who will say that, or or people who are anti-vegan, it's really everybody um, who will say that like agriculture is bad for the environment Mm -hmm. in X way. And I've never believed that to be true, especially responsible agriculture. Do you have can you can you help me understand that a little better? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you know that's that's one of the most common claims against agriculture is that it's it's harmful to the environment. Uh, there's a few other claims that that people like to make to to oppose agriculture, but that's probably the most uh, effective one, I guess I would say. And the mm-hmm. reason why it's effective is because there there is some truth to it. But like you said, responsible agriculture is not harmful to the environment. It's actually very beneficial to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of the reason that people say that agriculture is so harmful to the environment is because of the Green Revolution. So uh, the Green Revolution, for anyone in the audience, and I'm guessing for yourself who don't know, mm-hmm. yeah. is the uh, third revolution of agriculture. And their agriculture's had, uh, I think we're going on the fifth revolution of agriculture. We're somewhere fourth. fourth oh, wow. fifth. It, it's kind of not clear which one we're in right now. Well, I think we're starting the fifth, but everyone kind of disagrees and they're still fair in- enough. It's hard to know until hindsight. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I, yeah, but you know, the third, the third revolution, the green revolution uh, is also known as the chemical revolution. So it was the introduction of chemical fertilizers and pesticides. And okay, that's where a lot of the environmental damage starts to come in. Um, not saying that those things are bad, but misuse of those things can cause damage that's irreversible. It's or, so interesting that that's called the green revolution. You would, right. Cause that's so often <laughs> associated with environmentalism. Right. And that's, that's kind of the irony with it. And well, to be fair, when they introduced these things, they thought that it was going to be beneficial for everything that, you know, mm-hmm. introducing these chemicals was going to help, you know, plants grow better and it was going to help agriculture thrive. And that's why it was called the green revolution is because it was going to cause all this greenery to, to appear. Oh, okay. okay. That's something that wasn't really, 
we, we didn't really foresee how negative the ramifications could be from those chemicals. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not saying that, that they're bad. You know, they're, they're definitely useful in a lot of ways. It's just that if, if you're not careful that they can cause things that we don't really know how to fix yet. Um, so like, for example, pesticides, you know, a lot of people have, have opposition to pesticides. They only buy things that are, that were never sprayed with pesticides, or they refuse to buy anything that has been sprayed, you know, with certain pesticides or whatever. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because, well, there's two reasons people fear for one, the potential for pesticide, uh, pesticide residue. So they don't want to eat food that might still have pesticides on it because mm-hmm. they're worried it's going to poison them or it's going to hurt, you know, it's going to make them sick or, you know, something's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And the second reason is because they, they fear pesticide residue in the soil because having those chemicals in the soil can damage the soil. And, and that makes it so you can't grow food on that, on that soil anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the fear of the environmental side of things. And that's not the only one. There's, there's other ones. More of the animal agriculture stuff is, is kind of the fear of, of like the, you know, methane emissions and carbon emissions, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, that's where the fear comes from, but that's not really accurate to how agriculture functions anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a common theme that you'll see is a lot of people are fearful of different aspects of agriculture because that's how they used to be, but that's not mm-hmm. how they are anymore. And people don't realize how fast agriculture has updated. And- that makes sense. That makes sense. I think mm-hmm. that that happens in, in almost every area of life where people are like, yeah, but look at the history and look how it is. And, and it's like, well, that hasn't been true for 20 years. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, there, there are definitely some practices back in the day that we definitely should have seen, you know, firsthand that they were not good practices. Like for example, mm-hmm. uh, oranges, oranges are very susceptible to cold, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to freeze damage and that kind of thing. And so one of the methods we used to use to keep our trees warm were we would just burn tires underneath them. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but that was possibly one of the worst things that agriculture's ever done. That's I shouldn't laugh, but like that's so like hilariously like poorly thought out. Right. Um, so I, I guess I so I've got a question about um you said that's the third revolution. So would the mm-hmm. first revolution have been like the discovery of being able to farm and then the second revolution is like crop cycling? So you're you're quite you're almost you're almost there. Um so the first revolution is like you said the kind of the invention of agriculture. The the realization that we could cultivate land and and use utilize it to uh you know uh, consistently produce food that way we don't have to forage or gather or do anything like that anymore yeah the second revolution was the creation of tools that oh. was you know the, the 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 first plow the use of animals to to pull you know machinery through the fields the use of you know shovels and hoes and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the second revolution and technically the, the invention of the tractor is included in that so the second revolution is one of the longest revolutions. Because I was just going to um, say, that's a long time from hose yeah. to, to tractors. Right. So <laughs> the first revolution was kind of like, they had basic tools, but they didn't have anything. Like they didn't have a plow. They didn't really figure out how to draw animals or anything like that for a while. So okay. the first revolution was pretty short. And then the second revolution began. And that's where we started to get more kind of the early stages of mechanized agriculture. And that's where we got tractors and plows and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, more advanced technologies that we see more, more frequently now that they wouldn't have even known about back in the, back in the early days of agriculture. And then we got to the, to the green revolution. The green revolution actually occurred in the mid 1900s, like the 1950s, I believe. So it's pretty recent. And yeah. that has been the most consistent form of agriculture for a while. And then in mm-hmm. the early 2000s, we started to get into the fourth revolution, 
And here's the there here's the part where it gets kind of sticky because nobody really knows where like if if there is a difference between the fourth and fifth or if they're the same thing or if you know like nobody can agree on this. Mm-hmm. So the fourth revolution, this is how I've always kind of viewed it. The fourth okay. revolution is the second mechanization of agriculture. So that's kind of the uh, the adaptation of you know uh, GPS tractors, of drones, of you know artificial intelligence, like the technologies that we use to kind of automize agriculture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I view the fifth revolution as the combination of that with traditional regenerative methods. So it's kind of the sustainable movement, you know, the idea behind mm-hmm. producing food in a way that's environmentally friendly, but also yields the same you know level of production as conventional agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the controversy is that they say that, you know, that the regenerative, you know, era is not a new generation of agriculture is, is just, you know, it's just what we're doing right now. But I think that, <laughs> you know, we're, we created a lot of new technology in the second mechanization of agriculture, like the, the fourth mm-hmm. revolution, the, the automated agriculture era. And we're using methods that we weren't using during that era. So I personally think it's a new revolution, but that's, like I said, it's heavily debated right now. Well, I can see, I can see how, how that makes sense. Um, okay. And then I have a question that's probably going to sound dumb and I probably should have asked <laughs> it before we started. Um, so does agriculture also include animal husbandry or is it strictly the plant stuff? So this is actually a really common question and I have a okay. policy on my show. There's, there's no such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> um, but yeah, so agriculture is actually a much broader topic than a lot of people tend to realize. It includes uh, plants, it includes animal husbandry, um, it even includes uh, like like forestry, um, so like, oh, you know, okay, like, yeah. uh, like lumber production and uh, even mining can be considered agriculture to a degree, fishing, uh, aquaculture, permaculture, you know, um, gardening is even a form of agriculture, pretty much anything that involves the harvesting of natural resources and the production of commercial products, that's agriculture. Okay. Okay. So, so you said the production of commercial products, right? So, okay. I'm going to ask, <laughs> ask you a very specific question. Okay. If I go as an individual, you know, in a, in a car, a truck or whatever, um, if I go up the mountain and I find say a quartz vein mm-hmm. and I extract that quartz, but I just keep it in my house because quartz is real pretty and I never do anything. Is that considered agriculture, even though it's the extraction of resources? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, well, that, that's kind of, you know, that, that kind of begs the same question as, as gardening is, you know, mm-hmm. if you garden, but you don't give anyone your product, if you just eat it yourself, is it considered agriculture? Technically, the practice is considered agriculture because you're still utilizing a natural resource for a non-natural purpose, which it's natural to us because we eat it, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not contributing back right you're not giving it back to anything you're not giving it to the population you're not giving it back to the earth like you're using it for a selfish purpose Mm -hmm. so that kind of is well that's why some people don't consider like gardening agriculture but technically by the definition of agriculture it still would be so yes if you you were to go and mine quartz from you know from from a local quartz mine then technically that would still be considered an agricultural practice it just wouldn't be part of the agriculture industry Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I could ask you pedantic questions all day about the <laughs> specifics and we don't need to do that, but, um, but yeah, that makes sense to me. So like, okay, I'm going to say what I kind of, how I would phrase it. And you tell me if it's just totally off base or, or maybe correct, who knows? Um, so if, uh, like if I have someone asked me what all agriculture is based on what you just told me, I would probably say, things related to our relationship with and extracting of resources with the natural world, as opposed to the world that we've created. 
Yes, I would say that's an accurate description. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool, yeah. cool. Thank you. <laughs> and, and this is why I say that agriculture is the bridge between society and nature is because it involves the extraction of natural resources to benefit society, but it also involves the production of things that we use in society like technology to benefit the environment. So mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. You know, we're we're taking things from the environment, but we're also giving back to it tenfold. Okay. Okay. So here's a question that I I, I have because you mentioned earlier that the um, the people push back against agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so if agriculture, like, like forgetting the, um, the reason, the other resources, but just talking about food, if we were to get rid of agriculture, <laughs> what the heck would we do? Have you ever seen the movie Wally? Um, no, no, but okay. it's like pills, pill food. No. So in Wally, it's uh it's this movie about a little robot that, you know, he goes around mm-hmm. and he cleans up the earth while all the humans are in a spaceship way, way above earth. Okay. And they drink milkshakes all day, but the milkshakes are made of food substance that's unclear. Nobody really knows where they get the food. Um, there's weird theories about what the food is, but that's beside <laughs> the point. But it's funny because I'm actually working on an episode right now about this movie. And the reason why is because I think the Wally is a perfect representation of what happens when we get rid of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of this, you know, everyone seems to think, and maybe this is what was intended, was that Wally is uh, supposed to be about what happens if we overpollute the planet, if we yeah. don't clean up our trash, if we allow capitalism to kind of reign free, if we, you know, if we don't regulate things, if we don't control the environmental damage that we're causing. And at the at the beginning of the movie, we see that the the president at the time uh, he has to leave the planet because he can't breathe. He has to like put on a like a like an oxygen mask and and rush to the spaceship at like at, at the last second. Okay. And that's like a big part of the movie is that like everyone's like, oh, you know, the 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 pollution must be so bad that he can't breathe. But what saves the movie is that they started planting plants again, and they figured mm-hmm. out how to regrow their environment and how to revitalize agriculture. And so to me, that kind of says it wasn't the pollution that was causing the problem. It was the lack of plants. plants. Yeah, (laughs) the oxygen. Right. And so that would be if we were to destroy agriculture completely, assuming Mm -hmm. we still had, you know, natural plants, we would still have at least somewhat of an oxygen supply. We would have a very, very, very limited food supply because Mm -hmm. it'd be mostly based off of hunting and gathering again, because we wouldn't have that same level of of food production like like we did. And not only that, I have this theory, and this is something that I'm kind of working on right now too, that agriculture is the foundation of society. And because mm-hmm. agriculture founded society, you know, the first society was built around being able to farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a theory that if we were to able, if we were to separate agriculture from society, that society would fall. I agree. Because if you know, <laughs> if you think about it, if we don't have a sustainable source of food, everyone's got to go find their own, and that mm-hmm. gets chaotic really, really quick. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if, if we were to destroy agriculture, like I said, you know, there's people who oppose it and who, who want to eradicate it. It's going to end really, really badly. Yeah. Like I just, I can't, like, I've heard people oppose, like, what do they, what do they say? Like uh, factory farming and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like that to me, okay. Like I can hear you, you know, but <laughs> like the idea of just ceasing to cultivate food and continue to grow plants, like that's so bizarre. That's mm-hmm. so bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot of people who they have a very, a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Narrow. Like, view. A, like, what was that? I'm sorry. Like a narrow view. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like a misled view of what agriculture actually is today. And so they see, so like you mentioned factory farming, that's mm-hmm. a very common kind of like buzzword in, in the agricultural mm-hmm. community because what a factory farm is, isn't super well-defined. People don't really 
like if, if somebody says, oh, I don't support factory farming, if you ask them what a factory farm is, they have a hard time really describing it. Um, sometimes you, you'll hear like imagery of like, you know, massive, you know, machine ran facilities that just, you know, process animals automatically. Uh, sometimes you'll hear, uh, you know, like you hear about like the chicken situation where they get pumped full of growth hormones and they just get plumped up and then thrown in, in like a mm-hmm. shredder kind of, of sort. And it's just like, it sounds like terrible stuff or like they're all stuck in cages and you know, like there's no light or, or, you know, anything for them to be able to run around. Like that's kind of the imagery you start to hear. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people tend to don't realize is like you see videos of that kind of stuff online, but mm-hmm. those videos are taken from decades ago, or mm-hmm. if they are more modern, they're in another country that's not as developed as we are. Or, mm-hmm. And it's, know, it's often like a slant, like a bias, like propaganda, right. really. Right. No. And, that, and that's exactly what it is, is, you know, there, there's just not, there's not that many farms that do that kind of stuff anymore. Um, we do have, you know, large scale production that can look like that at times, mm-hmm. but it's, 96% of family farm or of, of farms are family owned. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that, that kind of, you know, people say that, that, you know, uh, that we need to be giving farms back to families, not to factories, but a lot of those factory farms that people like to talk about are family owned. They're just really mm-hmm. big. And yeah. that's kind of what people like people see large farms and think factory farm when that's not really the case, just small farms are dying out because of regulations and because of the markets. It's not because, you know, factory farms and corporations are taking over. It's just because we can't afford to keep them alive anymore. They're getting mm-hmm. kind of drilled into the ground. Yeah. It's just not accessible. Right. Well, and like, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. Cause again, like I, I have an interest in it. So I've heard things, <laughs> yeah. but I don't really know what's true. And I haven't had the time to do all the research that I'd like to do. Um, <clears throat> but from what I understand, like, for example, those machines, you know, those big, scary machines, like, so mm-hmm. the ones that milk cows, everything that when I've talked to people who are actually in agriculture, what I've been told is that that's actually a lot more comfortable for the cow because mm-hmm. they don't have to wait to pump their milk and stuff like that. Um, you know, wait for the farmer to come around. And so they're less uncomfortable. They get to do it on demand. They get, you know, everything that they want on demand. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. So the dairy industry is actually, you know, there's, <laughs> I have a friend of mine that, that has been on the show a couple of times and he's a very active dairyman. He like, you know, posts on TikTok and Instagram. He's very, you know, social media active because he likes to share this kind of stuff. Um, he has this motto that I like to always tell people about the dairy industry. The point of the dairy industry is not to produce milk. The point of the dairy industry is to produce happy cows and happy cows produce good milk. Because with with any industry, uh, but especially with agriculture, the more you stress out your unit, the worse the product is going to be. Mm-hmm. You stress out your crops; they're not going to produce very well. You know, they're not produce very good looking fruit. If you stress mm-hmm. out your animals, they're not going to produce a very good looking product. If you stress out anything, it's not going it's not going to function very well. You know, there there aren't many things in this world that can function high off of off of high amounts of stress. Mm-hmm. And so the same goes for, you know, the dairy industry. If we stress out our cows, they're not going to give us very good milk. So we want to make sure they're as happy and comfortable as possible. And so we design all of our machines, all of our, like (laughs) it's gotten so, so, you know, to a a whole nother level now that cows have their own Fitbits. They have, (laughs) you know, they have uh, some, some people do a collar, some of them do ear tags, some of them do uh, just anklets around their, around their uh, ankle. And it tracks how many steps that cow has taken, if that cow's in heat, if she's sick, if she's drinking water, if she's not, if she's been in the sun too long, it tracks all of that. And then when she goes in to get weighed, it scans that tag and says, okay, this cow is sick, we need to watch her. Or this cow's doing great, she's going to produce a lot of good milk this year. And then when they go in to get milked, the machine is actually like 
specifically designed to kind of simulate a calf uh, nursing. And that's mm-hmm. why the cow is so comfortable is because, you know, for one, like you said, it's at her own, it's at her own convenience. She can just go in and get milk whenever she needs to get milked. But for two, it feels natural to her. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like some guy just grabbing onto her. It feels like an actual calf is sucking on her and that helps her be more comfortable with the experience and produces better milk for us. Mm-hmm. So with all agriculture, that's, that's the idea is to try to produce the most comfortable, healthy environment we can. Okay. So, okay. So I have, I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I love this yeah. format. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> um, so like someone like me, um, who, you know, is, I wouldn't say that I'm like poor, but I don't have like a lot of money. How does someone get involved if they want to get involved in agriculture when they don't have an inherited family farm or an inherited millions of dollars? So that's the question of the year. <laughs> um, I, I've been asked that quite a few times. I've asked myself that question before because I would like to get involved as well. It's, it's a really not easy thing to do. Um, just because for one, right, right now, land is really scarce and mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult to just take land and turn it into agriculturally productive land. Um, mostly because of, you know, there's a few different reasons, but mostly because either that land is not suitable to excuse me, it's not, suit- it's not suitable to grow anything or that land is not uh, like in a good, you know, it's not in a good climate. So it, what you do want to grow just won't grow properly because of the climate. Uh, maybe the land is too expensive or it's going to be regulated into the ground or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's really hard to get land. That's, that's mm-hmm. the number one hurdle. If you can get the land, it becomes easier from there. But mm-hmm. the main the, the main difficulty that a lot of people find trying to get into agriculture is the price per entry is really, really high. You have mm-hmm. to pay a lot because you're investing, you know, you're not just investing into, you know, a plot of land, you're investing into, uh, you know, soil tests, to make sure your soil is properly, you know, it, it's suitable for growing. Let's just say you want to do cattle, you have to build fencing. If you want to do crops, you have to make sure that the climate that you're, you're, you know, uh, in is suitable for growing the crop you want to grow. And you got to mm-hmm. check the markets to make sure that your area is, is a good area for growing those crops. Crops. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go on the commercial level, you have to make sure that the truck driver ha- is willing to drive out to your place to pick up your crop to go sell to the market. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different factors to go into it. Um, one of the things that I've been looking into a lot lately is potentially going into a farm gate operation kind of setup. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Farmgate is kind of a very specified operation that's a lot smaller in scale. It it still has a potential to be commercial, but mostly it focuses on community-driven food production. So uh, there's a Farmgate operation back in my hometown that produces pigs. And so basically, let's just say you wanted to buy some pork chops and you want to buy like the whole pig. You can walk onto the operation. They'll give you a tour of the whole place. You get Mm -hmm. to pick out which pig you want. They'll do all the cuts and everything, and they'll sell you the meat right there at the door. You don't have to go to the store for it. You don't have to go through the processing plant. There's no middleman. It's literally just from the farm to the plate right away. And that doesn't happen That's very super often. super cool. Right? And, and is that like co-op style? Can you like buy in and be part of it? Uh, I'm, I think that there are some operations that are like that, but a lot of them tend to be independently owned just because okay. it's easier for, uh, for legal reasons. You know, you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about as many regulations. There's not as much, you know, business, you know, stuff you have to deal with. It's just kind of, it's, it's easier to, to run, you know, independently, but I, think that there are some that like, I actually think that there's some cities who have bought out small plots of land that they've invested back into the community and allowed locals in the area to, to kind of pitch in for, um, in some areas of, of the world. Yeah. But that's something that I think is kind of, if you're looking to get into agriculture, a farm gate operation might be a bit easier to manage just because for one, it is smaller. And for two, you're not running on the commercial level. So you're not going to be running into as many problems with regulation or with entry fees or anything like that. 
Mm-hmm. That's super, <laughs> super cool. I, uh, well, and okay. So I have, I have, you know, more questions. <laughs> <Another> question, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the, uh, so you were talking about how most farms are large scale now and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I, I guess as someone who really, you know, immerses themselves in the industry, I wonder like how viable is it? Like I've often wondered if it's viable that, you know, the larger scale farms would scale down and, you know, cause there's, I think like you mentioned earlier in the show, sorry, I'm sort of rambling, but I've got a point, I promise. Um, you mentioned earlier in the show that a lot of people want to be farmers or at least have like grow their own food for their families and stuff. And, and that's been my experience too, is I know a ton of people like that. And it might just be that we're attracting those people, but I think that it's also probably just a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you know, one family could feed say three families. So if like one third of people were to do, how viable is it that we did a bunch of micro farms? You know, I, that's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> um, because it's, huh. The hard part about it is that there would have to be a lot of deregulation. Um, that's the hardest part is that small farms, like the reason that small farms aren't around anymore, because, you know, anyone who studied history probably knows that at one point everyone had a farm. That was kind of the thing was, you know, every family Mm -hmm. had either some backyard chickens or they were, you know, they had a full on operation, or maybe they just had like a small, you know, plot of, of crops in the backyard or, you know, everyone had farms at some point. Eventually, as urbanization began to spread, that became less and less common. And that's part of it, too, is urbanization is a big factor. But the reason that so many small farms died out and so many large farms continued is because whenever a new wave of regulation hits, the small farms usually can't afford to cover themselves and and the big farms buy them out to so, so they can save that land. Because mm-hmm. a big fear right now in agriculture is that land is going to get bought out and turned into urban land and we can't use it for farming anymore. Mm-hmm. Because... A, a number I like to throw around to scare people is that uh, if let's just say, you know, there's a local Walmart nearby and yeah. there's no farms for miles and somebody wanted to build a farm where that Walmart is, they could tear down the Walmart. They can't grow anything on that land though. Yeah. And, Cause it's already been concreted and stuff like that. Right. Right. And even if you were to tear it all the way down to the topsoil, about an inch of topsoil takes about anywhere from 300 to 500 years to regenerate. Jeez. Yeah. So <laughs> it really isn't an option to farm that land anymore for a while. So the more we urbanize, the less land we have access to. It's like if you have a five gallon or yeah, a five gallon bucket full of water and you cut off two gallons, that bucket can only ever be so full. It can only ever mm-hmm. hold three gallons again. It's not like we can get that two gallons back because we cut it off. It's the same thing with with land. You know, if we cut off that topsoil from from building buildings. We can't ever use that land again, not for another 500 years. And we don't have that kind of time. So it's a big fear in agriculture right now is that that land is going to get eaten up by urban sprawl. And so in order to try to reduce that from happening, larger farms will buy out smaller farms mm-hmm. to preserve the land. That way it yeah, can't better to have out. a large farm than to have it urbanized. That makes sense. Right. So, so the whole topsoil thing though. Okay. So I thought, and I am obviously wrong about a lot of things and that's <laughs> fine. Um, I thought that... I thought that we could uh, participate in helping the soil to regenerate through using, you know, e- easier crops to grow or mycology mm. or um, introducing nitrogen or like lighting some shit on fire on it <laughs> or what, sorry, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, I didn't mean to, it's fine. Uh, but I, I thought that we had methods that could improve, improve the quality and, and usability, arability or whatever the word is of the soil. Yes, you're absolutely right. We do. The thing is, once we are 
once we've already destroyed that topsoil, there's nothing more we can do. We, we can only benefit soil that's still alive. As soon as we kill the soil, there's no bringing it back. Um, because and by alive, you mean the microorganisms and stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so soil, like you, like you just mentioned is made up of, of microbiomes. There's, there's tons of just a network of microorganisms living underneath it. Whenever we kill that topsoil, we just killed a ton of those biomes and it's the biomes that keep the soil healthy and, and, and able to grow things. We can only keep soil healthy if it's already alive. As soon as we kill off those microbiomes, it takes a very long time to be able to, to bring them back. Um, if we have soil that's, let's just say it's been leached or it's, it's starting to dry out or it's, you know, it's having issues and it's starting to kind of die off. We can rejuvenate it. Like you said, we can use nitrogen fixing crops. We can use, uh, crops that actually take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. That's actually one of the more uh, regenerative methods that we've been looking into to try to reduce carbon emissions is to just put it mm-hmm. back into soil and regenerate the soil with it. <laughs> Helps everybody. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> there, there are methods, there's even like newer technology that we're using to try to, you know, we can it's kind of crazy there's a, there's a new branch of, te- of agriculture called precision agriculture that's okay. entirely focused on very, very, very small scale fixes. So like, you know, you have a drone flying over a field, it can tell you where the highest moisture content is in the soil. It can tell you where the most microbiomes uh, are. They can tell you where the insects are the most commonly found and if they're benefiting the soil or if they're hurting it, like it can tell you all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we can specialize our treatment of the soil to those areas instead of just mass treating all of the soil. Okay. And so there are methods involved in trying to keep the soil that we still have alive and healthy, but if the soil has already died, if it's already been, you know, paved over, it's, it's not impossible to bring it back, but it's, it's to a point where we don't quite have the technology done yet to be able to do that effectively. Okay. That, that makes sense. And, and, and I mean, I'm not trying to like hammer home this idea or anything, but no, I know, um, but like, so like, this is gonna, okay. <laughs> I know how ridiculous this is going to sound, Okay, but we have the same type of thing in our stomachs, right? Gut mm-hmm. guts. And so couldn't we hypothetically, and I know that it's, and especially with a combination of precision agriculture, um, couldn't we, you know, mix some of the live soil with the dying soil and add a bunch of like yogurt or something equivalent, you know, to, to really encourage that to, to grow into the soil. And then we have twice as much, or is that just a, just a no go? So I know that, uh, modern know soils, a lot of, a lot of soil scientists are working on a way to do that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. they're trying to find ways of, so actually this is something you might find interesting. Um, we're trying to find a way to grow food on the moon. Oh, yes, that is interesting. <laughs> uh, I actually just did an episode on this uh, a few weeks ago. I had, a, I had a guest on who's actually working on the project that, or I think he no was. No way. Sure he still is. Mm-hmm. He's oh. working for NASA on, on the project to, to grow food on the moon. And he let me know on some of the things that they're trying. The moon soil is nowhere near suitable for growing crops. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it's, it's, I don't remember if it's acidic or if it's just, it's just Super barren. Alkaline. Yeah, something something's wrong with it. It's just it's not it's not anywhere near suitable for growing crops. So we're actually basically um, like transplanting soil onto the moon, and so mm-hmm. we can mix it with with moon soil and see if we could turn it into something usable. So mm-hmm. we're trying that own the, that method on our own soil. You know, we're trying to combine dead soil with alive soil and see if some of those microbiomes can do something with it. Mm-hmm. We're having a bit of trouble finding any success with it, but it is in the works. So okay. the idea is eventually, yes, we could do what you said and, and, and try to revitalize a lot of the soil that we lost. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, that requires two things. First of all, that requires the technology to be perfected and to a point mm-hmm. where we can do it efficiently and, and effectively, and it's not going to cost a million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
and two, that requires us to have a better conversation about the use of urban land versus rural land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not exactly easy to talk a city into bulldozing a building so we could grow some plants there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's kind of the hardest part right now is even if we can hold on to the land that we have, producing new land is going to be very difficult because there's not a whole lot of land just lying around. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a lot of land that's not being used right now because it's all, uh, it's all desert. And yeah. there actually are methods right now that are being experimented with to try to re- uh, kind of reverse desertification. Um, mm-hmm. if, if that's, you know, like basically we're trying to use like grazing animals to try to see if we can bring deserts back to life. And we actually have had some level of success. Oh, okay. Um, so like there's, there's right now we're in a very, this is why I say we're in a new generation of agriculture because we're mm-hmm. in a very experimental phase of trying a lot of different things to try to bring our soil back to life. Um, and so that's kind of, the hope is that eventually, yes, we will be able to bring the soil back enough to a point where small farmers can still survive. But again, the regulation is a big part of it. And all of the other, you know, like the markets are very di- difficult to keep up with. But if like a farm gate market were to kind of appear, then maybe that could be a thing. It's kind of just right now, there's so many unknowns that it's really hard to say for sure. Like, yeah, you could go out there and start a farm and it'll do just fine. <laughs> just because we don't, you know, we don't know what's still out there that's available to use. And we don't know what's going to be coming down the pipeline over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, that's really, that's really exciting to me. I'm glad that I asked you those very specific questions because, <laughs> because it feels a little more hopeful now mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we don't, we don't have a yay, but we have a maybe, right. You know, and, and that's cool. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a big thing that I try to stress is that, you know, a lot of people are like, are we doomed? I'm like, no, we're not doomed. <laughs> it's just gonna be really hard. Like mm-hmm. we're not, we're not giving up yet. Cause everyone's like, oh, we're going to move to Mars and we're going to start farming over there. And we're like, Hey, we, still have a lot of earth left how about we stop destroying earth and we fix it and then we can just keep growing food here well, and i'm okay, sorry go ahead. go ahead oh you go you go um i was just gonna say that i you know I, I like to have the conversation with people a lot about how how far we've come in terms of being able to revert a lot of the environmental damage that's been caused mm-hmm. both by agriculture and other industries um and how much we've been able to figure out in terms of like you know the farm gate situation and the soil regeneration and all that kind of stuff like like you said there is hope it's it's not like a yes we can fix this it's like a we might be able to do something with this Mm -hmm. but it's more than you know hey we're screwed we gotta move to another planet yeah and better to put our energy into trying than just give up for sure okay so (laughs) i have a i guess my question my next question for you you're so freaking knowledgeable (laughs) and helpful this is so fun um my next question would be about um i think you called it aquaculture but Mm -hmm. maybe i don't know um And how does that play in, you know, because I know that there is soil under the oceans and under lakes and stuff like that. And I obviously know that aquatic plants exist and aquatic Mm -hmm. animals and stuff. How does that relate to the whole soil shortage and the farming situation? So that's a really good question, actually. I might need to do some more research on that one. Um, Okay. I kind of have a very, very general understanding of aquaculture. I'm not quite as specified in in that area. Um, Okay. I have gotten to experience a bit of like fish farming and that's involved in in aquaculture uh aquaculture tends to like you like you mentioned it has to do a lot with underwater plants and you know being able to grow things using our oceans and that and that sort of thing but i'm not exactly sure what the soil situation is looking like for that uh, because they have a very different soil situation than we Mm -hmm. do obviously they have a very different environment than we do (laughs) um so i yeah i would have to do more more research on on that particular topic just because i don't 
I don't want to say anything and, and, you know, somebody go and look it up and be like, oh, he said this and it was actually wrong because I don't yeah, really know that much fair. about aquaculture. Um, I will say that the reason I brought aquaculture up is to show that there's a lot of different, there's a lot of variety in agriculture mm-hmm. and there's a lot of variety in research in agriculture because that's a big thing too is agriculture at the end of the day is a science. Um, it is, you know, it's an environmental science. And mm-hmm. so we, we have a lot of researchers and scientists dedicated to agriculture, just focus on trying to find ways to, you know, sustain a food supply that will be able to feed us for the next, you know, thousands of years. Um, and they are using different aspects of agriculture that we typically wouldn't have looked into. So Mm -hmm. aquaculture, permaculture, horticulture, even, um, regenerative ag or organic stuff, like every, every branch of agriculture has its own specialized way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And the researchers are basically saying, Hey, what if we try that, but on this side of agriculture? And yeah, yeah. That's what I was wondering. Exactly. And so, so so I'm not, sorry, I'm not quite sure if they've, experimented a whole lot with aquaculture's methods yet but i would say that's probably not out of the question yet mm-hmm. that's that's super cool and and really exciting to me um and then i guess the the other big question that i have and maybe it's not a big question but whatever you know um <laughs> is uh, is conservation how does conservation mm-hmm. play in things like the we've got in bc here a wolf call that we do and everybody hates it but i'm like okay but you know we kind of need it i mean maybe we caused it but we still need it mm-hmm. so like how does that play in and then like what's the relationship between conservation and the agricultural communities so agriculture and conservation have a very interesting relationship um that's kind of a big reason that a lot of people uh seem to oppose agriculture is because they fear that agriculture doesn't care about conservation mm-hmm. but it's actually kind of the the reverse. Agriculture cares a lot about conservation. It focuses Mm -hmm. very heavily on preserving the environment in any way possible. Um, There's a certain aspect of, you know, the nature's going to do what nature's going to do. You know, you can't conserve everything just because naturally it might've degraded anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, you know, the, I'm trying to, trying to organize my thoughts here while, while speaking, Mm -hmm. and it's never a good thing. Um, one of the, one of the things that a lot of people worry about with conservation and agriculture is like uh, forest conservation because mm-hmm. deforestation is a big part of agriculture mm-hmm. and people often fear why we deforest things so much. There is a purpose in it. I'm not saying that all of it's good. We, we have torn down some forests. I think that in uh, South America, like near Brazil area, uh, they tore down a bunch of forest land to produce like beef ranches. And I actually got a question about that. People are like, why are they doing this? And I was like, I don't know. Like there are some farmers getting human, right? Like there, there are some farmers who just want to do things for the sake of doing them. Like then they're not really doing it because they need it. It's because they just think they can do it and make more money that way. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to say that every farmer is perfect or that everyone in agriculture is is a good person because with any industry, there's going to be corruption. That's just how that works. Um, I will say though that one of the primary goals of agriculture, like I mentioned, is to preserve you know the environment. Mm-hmm. A, a big issue that a lot of people tend to have is uh, issues with biodiversity. You know, we, yeah. we tend to not introduce multiple types of crops. Monocropping is kind of the the way to go for agriculture right now, but yeah. just because it's it's popular on the commercial level and it's easier to to it's easier to spray a whole field of corn rather than you know part of a field of corn and part of a field of cotton and part of a field of you know like it's it's hard to it's hard to multi-crop. It's hard to polycrop. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the easiest thing to manage from a commercial perspective. And that's why it's not super common. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I would also think that it's hard to cycle, right? Um, you know, because you, you need different equipment for harvesting mm-hmm. and, and growing corn than you do say potatoes or whatever. 
And so right. now you, you know, your barn needs to be three times the size if you want to <laughs> cycle your crops. Yes. And so, yeah, that, that's a big thing too, is that, you know, monocropping is just the best way to go. But if you talk to a regenerative farmer, you really want to have biodiversity in, in your, in your production because biodiversity increases the uh, health of the soil. You know, everything goes back to the soil. The soil is the foundation of all of this. You know, mm -hmm. if you have biodiversity in your crops, you're going to have biodiversity in your microbiomes, which increases the, nu the nutrients available in the soil, which causes healthier crops and higher yields and all this kind of stuff. But again, it's not the most efficient means of production. And that's why we don't really do it a whole lot. A lot of the concern with conservation though, from the crop perspective is not just biodiversity, but it's, it's, um, What's the, best, what's the best way to put this? Um, basically, people fear that we've domesticated crops and and animals and kind of evolved them to a point where they were never supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so because of that, we've let other animals die off that probably should have survived. Like, mm -hmm. I guarantee you today that if we had not domesticated cows, cows would not have survived very long because yeah. they're, they're not the, <laughs> they're not the hardiest animal. I mean, they're hardy, but they're also kind of dumb. And yeah. so they, they probably and wouldn't slow. have lasted. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's, that's a concern for a lot of people. They're like, Hey, why are all these, you know, gophers and squirrels and other rodents dying while we're, while we're harvesting crops, but your cows are, are allowed to survive just fine. It's like, well, you can't really help that, you know, like we mm -hmm. were, we kept, we kept the animals alive that we need to survive everything else. That's kind of their problem, which is a, mm -hmm. you know, it's a harsh way of putting it, but you know, if, if a squirrel gets run over by a tractor while, while it's harvesting crops, that's kind of the squirrel's fault for getting in the way. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we can't be accountable for every living thing near the farm. We have to be accountable for what we chose to be responsible for, which that's kind of the part where it's, it's understandable why people kind of have an issue with agriculture is that we can't, you know, we can't be, we can't, like I said, we can't be responsible for everything. There's just so much moving on a farm. We can't handle all of it at once. Well, and that makes sense. And it sounds to me like you're saying that the conservation and agriculture have a symbiotic yet tense relationship. Right. That, that's, that's the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and you mentioned something and, and, um, and it, it piqued something in me. So mm -hmm. you were talking about um, you know, selective letting people or not people, <laughs> animals or plants, you know, survive and, and stuff like that. And selective breeding is kind mm -hmm. of what comes to mind. Specifically, um, people talk so much about uh, what are they, what is the word uh, that they use for things that are uh, grown? Gosh, people get really uptight about it. They're like, I don't want GMO, GMO. GMOs. That's the oh, term, yeah. <laughs> right? And so when people talk about that, I always find it weird because when I think of like, there's two kinds of GMO, right? There's like mm -hmm. chemical lab GMO and like where they are like going in and splicing DNA and changing stuff around. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stuff that's done in the field, like grafting or selective breeding. Like, you know, I want like, um, the, the, the lettuce and broccoli or not mm -hmm. lettuce, cabbage and broccoli and all that came from wild cabbage, right? Like right. the same plant. And that was all done in the field before we had labs. So how do you usually broach that topic and like cool people down when they start getting all heated about stuff they don't understand. See, this is one of my favorite conversations to have. GMOs are like, that's like one of my specializations in terms of knowledge. Like I've done probably of all of the research I've done in agriculture, GMOs is one of the things I have the most knowledge about besides like, you know, beef industry and, and like the dairy industry. Cause I grew up around that stuff, but like mm -hmm. I've done my homework on GMOs. So that one's like the, the one I'm the most comfortable with. So I'm glad that you asked this. This is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the best way to approach it that, that I've found is, well, like, like you said, there's different, there's different types of genetic modification. And because of that, we have to kind of go into them separately. You can't approach all GMOs the same. There's, mm -hmm. 
there's a very complex conversation that you have to have first. So if you want to go in the selective breeding route, if people are upset about the fact that we've selectively bred cows all these years, or we've selectively bred corn, I would ask them to look at their dog Mm -hmm. and, or, or their cat, or, you know, like, like any animal that they, that they have as a pet, because that animal was selectively bred. You know, Mm -hmm. we, I guarantee you pugs did not happen naturally. That's just not. (laughs) (laughs) There. <laughs> there's no reason for a pug to occur naturally that thing would not survive out in the wild yeah, absolutely and, so, and that's that's too they're, they're pretty <laughs> right. <laughs> right and that's always my argument is that you know and that, that's the, that's the biggest thing too is you can't approach it from the perspective of you're wrong let me tell you why you have to approach it from the perspective of let me show you what you're familiar with and relate it to what i'm talking about mm-hmm. and so and that's kind of my approach for most things in life is you know if somebody's getting kind of heated about something then i usually say like hey you know how about you look at it this way and see if you still, if you still disagree with it. And that tends to be pretty, you know, pretty comfortable for them. Cause if I say like, you know, your, your dog's technically a GMO, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, your dog was not here a thousand years ago. Like not just your dog, your breed of dog was not here a thousand years ago. They were all wolves and they were all, or maybe a little more than a thousand years ago, but they were all wolves. And they eventually bred down to your little, you know, smash face little puppy there. Like, that's just not how (laughs) that works. And so they, when they start to realize that they're like, Oh, and I was like, yeah, we do the same thing. Like if you saw the original, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but, uh, corn back before we started crossbreeding it. Yeah. Like maize. Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. this big and it's like, you know, it looks like a stick. It doesn't even look like corn. And mm-hmm. we crossbred it for so long to now it's like this big old ear of corn that we enjoy or, uh, yeah, like this corn cob that we enjoy just, just munching on. Um, and it's, it's people see that. And they think, oh, you genetically modified it to be that big. Like you took it in a lab and, and you did all this experimenting on it to make it look all, all weird like that. <laughs> no, we've been doing that for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the big thing too, is that people tend to, so this is, this is a, a big old tangent I'm going to go on right now, but it's, it's relevant it. to what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm come back to it. But I'm working on a theory, like a mini series right now for the podcast um, on my theory about why the urban rural split happened. So why people aren't as informed about agriculture anymore, why agriculture and and urban communities don't really talk anymore, why that whole split is even a thing. Mm -hmm. And that split is, I think the reason why like GMOs, for example, are, are so feared. It's the reason why, you know, so many things in agriculture are so feared is because people have been away for so long that they're finally getting reintroduced to it. And they're like, that's not natural. It's like, no, we've mm-hmm. been doing this for a while. You just didn't see us doing it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for, you know, for example, with like the chicken situation, like I mentioned earlier, people are fearful about like, you know, us stuffing all kinds of growth hormones into chickens and making them get a lot bigger in the history of all of agriculture. There has never been a growth hormone stuffed inside a chicken. It's legal. It never has been legal. Oh. And it's like, if you see chicken, if you see like chicken in the store that says hormone free, yeah, they all are like uh, every chicken is hormone free. They, they've never had hormones in it. Well, artificial hormones, every animal has hormones in them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so like, if it says hormone free, you know, that's kind of a redundant label because all chickens are hormone free. They don't have growth hormones in them because it's illegal to do so. But people saw chickens, you know, a hundred years ago and they're all small and, and kind of like, you know, they weren't as big and plump and fat as yeah, they are more now. like the game hens. Right. And, and so a hundred years passes and, and nobody's been involved with agriculture in all that time. And all of a sudden they see the chickens and they're super big and they're like, Oh, they must've pumped them full of growth hormones. Like, no, we just breed bigger chickens now. Like we figured <laughs> out how to make them fat through breeding. Yeah. And the same thing happens with our crops. You know, people see, see corn today and they say, Oh, it's genetically modified. That's why it's so big. It's like, no, it's been like that for a while. We just have been crossbreeding it for a very long time. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, that's the part of the conversation that they tend to, to have an easier time with. When you get into GMOs and CMOs, like the actual like lab stuff, that's where yeah. it starts to get kind of sticky. And it's not an easy thing to convince everybody of. And that's kind of the mentality I go into it with is not everyone's going to be okay with it. And that's fine. If they're, if they're not okay with it, they're not okay with it. You're not going to be able to convince them. But for people who genuinely want to know, they're not opposed to it. They're just curious. I usually explain to them that the reason we genetically modify is basically it's an accelerated form of evolution. So Mm -hmm. we could reach those same results through generations of crossbreeding, or we could get done with one generation with, with genetic modification. And basically so like for example corn about 98 percent of all corn is genetically modified like we gmo Mm -hmm. a lot of corn but we gmo it mostly to be insecticide or to have natural insecticide in it so it's it's pest resistant so it's weather resistant so it has higher yields so it's uh more stable like there's a bunch of reasons that we genetically modify corn it's not just because we want to you know see if we can make this franken food of of corn Mm -hmm. it's because you know we want to do things that are going to be beneficial to the crop and beneficial to the environment and by doing that to corn, we have to spray less pesticides because yep. they already had the pesticide in them. So that are automatically lowers our pesticide use, which is a good thing. It lowers our use of, of, you know, certain types of machinery that would normally have to get rid of certain like weeds or other, you know, other, uh, damage that could, be, could, could potentially come to the crop. So that lowers mm-hmm. our costs. You know, there's, there's so many benefits to it that there's really no reason not to do it. And the other thing people tend to get freaked out about is they think that everything is genetically modified. There's only like 12 crops that are actually genetically modified. And even then, really? there's not that many of them that are like a high percentage of those crops are genetically modified. And that's in the lab, right? Right. That you mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like corn, soybeans, uh, I think that there's another one that's in the top three. Everything else is like less than 1% of those crops are genetically modified. Like wow. it's all like such trace amounts. Like you see like, you know, non-GMO grapes. There's no such thing as a GMO grape. There never has been. <laughs> um, there's only one GMO animal. Like people like to say like, I don't want genetically modified beef. Oh. Like that doesn't exist. You know? Can um, I guess which one it is? Sure. Let's see oh, um, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Is it a mammal? It is not a mammal. Is it a fish? It is a fish, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh, is it goldfish? No, it, it is a it's fish. A food we eat. It's a food. Yes. Okay, it's gotta be. It's gotta be that one that nobody likes. Um, maybe not. Okay, is it cod? <laughs> it's not cod. Okay, I give up. I give up. It's a salmon. Salmon? No way. <laughs> so it's it's called the Chinook salmon, and it's a it's a very specific you know breed of salmon. I think I think we have that here. Oh, really? Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so, so the Chinook salmon was the first ever and only ever genetically modified animal to reach the markets, at least. Um, mm-hmm. And it was genetically modified just to grow at a, at a larger, at a faster rate. That was literally the uh-huh. end. It was just, you know, we, we found a way to, to inject it with a gene that makes it grow at a faster rate. It's not any different. It doesn't have any weird, like, you know, genetic deformities going on. It literally just grows faster. So like now we have salmon that are, you know, this big as opposed to this big. And mm-hmm. so, and that's literally just so we could sell more salmon. It's just so we have more of that product that we can get on the market faster. Mm-hmm. Ever since we put that, that, that salmon on the market, genetic modified animals have been so like feared that we haven't been able to get anything else out. So that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I have one more question about GMO. I have okay. one more question. And I don't even know if it's really GMO. It's, it's sort of loosely related. Um, and it's definitely in the field. Um, I think of the, I think it's called gross Michelle banana. Um, and, and it was, it was so originally like, okay, so this is what I've heard. You may know, you may not, who knows. Um, (laughs) but originally apparently, so the banana flavoring, so think of like runts, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and how that tastes so very different than banana. 
um, or banana penicillin, same thing. And so apparently the gross Michelle banana is what that flavoring comes from. And it basically went through a terrible situation because they would be um, cultivated by like propagating through branches. And so they Mm -hmm. eventually evolved to not need seeds. Mm -hmm. And then one, like, uh, I think it was a bacteria or like an illness virus, something like that came and wiped out all of those bananas. And that's why we use the Cavendish. Yes. Is that true? And like, how much risk is there of that in, in other things? Cause I know a lot of like grafted trees and stuff are, are done that way. Yes. No, that's an excellent question. And so TR4, tropical run four was the disease that wiped, uh, I, I, I don't know if that was the banana variety that got wiped out, but there was a, a couple years ago, there was an issue with that, with uh, a banana, uh, like it was actually called, um, I think, uh, Panama disease or something like that, or it's something like that. There was, there was a disease that wiped out a, a massive chunk of bananas. Um, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because they refuse to genetically modify those bananas. They, oh. um, they're all genetically identical because they were, they were propagated through, through branches instead of seeds. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of and that's it's ironic people think that bananas are genetically modified because they don't have seeds it's like no we crossbred them <laughs> so they don't have seeds they're genetically they're not genetically modified and that's why they almost all died um mm-hmm. a big you know a big uh fear with a lot of plants and especially this is this is another problem with monocropping is if you if you use crops that don't reproduce sexually they're all genetically identical and if mm-hmm. they're all genetically identical one thing can kill all of them at once because mm-hmm. they're all the same. So they're all going to be as, as equally susceptible to it as the last one. So those bananas, you know, because they're all propagated through branches are all genetically identical. So they're all going to be susceptible to that thing. And bananas are kind of sensitive crops anyway. So they really weren't going to be all that hardy against whatever, whatever was going to hit them. But mm-hmm. that is a concern with a lot of other genetically modified crops is, is, you know, the reason why we, we do that is so that way they have genetic diversity. And so they don't get wiped out by one thing. Like, yes, we can crossbreed things to get rid of seeds. We do that with watermelons and grapes, but it's, it's better that they have the genetic diversity. So that way they're more immune to a lot of those diseases and pests and then to have them seedless for the, for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like when you see seedless stuff in the store, it's great. Cause you're like, oh yeah, no, you know, I don't have to worry about any seeds. That's, that's awesome. But then you have to remember that farmer probably had to work really hard to make sure that those crops did not die. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I preach, you know, GMOs are a good thing because they prevent us from losing a lot of food that we, re- that we probably normally would have lost. Yeah. That's really interesting because you would think like a GMO, you could, you could step in and, and give it some more, um, what's the word for that? The like, like resilience, but yeah. that's not quite the word I want, but, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and for some reason, you know, all of this stuff makes me think of the whole Pando thing and it makes mm. me think of bamboo and rhizomes and how there's so many interesting ways that plants can, can be like that. But I get, <laughs> see, I, I guess I have more interest in it and, and have read more about it than I realized. I'm realizing yeah. that during this conversation. <laughs> well, this is the funny thing too, is, you know, you, you bring up a good point, you know, you, you know more about it than you thought you did that happens to, to occur a lot with, with people is, you know, we start talking about agriculture and they're like, Oh, I knew about that. And like, because, you know, this is our food we're talking about. Like, you're going to know a lot more about it than you tend to realize. You may not know all the specifics, but a lot of people have a, a pretty decent knowledge of agriculture. If you start to just put it in terms that they understand um, a big issue that I've, I've kind of found with the agriculture industry. And this is, you know, I criticize my own industry all the time because I think yeah. we can do better is that, we talk in this scientific jargon that nobody understands and expect people to, to know what we're talking about. And then we get mad at them for not knowing what we're talking about and, and, and getting scared of it. If we just talk in language that people understand and that they can appreciate, then they're going to understand it just fine. 
like the entire purpose of my podcast is to relate agriculture to things that people are interested in. That's why I talk about movies and video games. That way I can show like, <laughs> Hey, agriculture is all around us. And not only is, is it all around us, you probably know a lot more about it than you really understand or that you thought you did, because it's very simple to understand. It's just that we, we, we use weird terms for it. Okay. So I've got one more question. Last question. I swear right. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird question, but nutritional values, how yes. do they figure those out? Good question. Um, <laughs> so there are tests that they can do on individual uh, plants. And so like, I'm sure you've heard of, of um, oh, what's it called? Uh, so in, in the science, you know, when, when applying the scientific method, there's a certain uh, practice you can use where you take like a piece of something and that's supposed to give you an idea of what the whole thing is like. Oh, yes. Yes. Like sampling. Oh, I know the word too, but I can't I, remember it either. Yeah. Oh. But that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. It's going to drive me crazy. Yeah, um, me <laughs> but so they can do that. They can take a few fruits off of a tree. Let's just say it's oranges and they'll, they'll actually do what's called a BRICS test. And a BRICS test basically means they take some, some juice from the orange, they'll run some light through it, and however long it takes for the light to get through the, the juice tells you what the sugar content of that juice is. And oh, so it's really cool. And cool. so through tests similar to that one, but for other fruit and vegetables, they can kind of determine what the nutritional content of what that uh, you know, what that fruit or vegetable is. And typically it's dependent on what minerals and vitamins are typically available in there. And then what percentage of, of those compared to the, the average is in there. So like, let's just say spinach on average, cause spinach tends to be pretty high in iron. Mm-hmm. Let's just say spinach on average tends to have, I don't know, just, you know, five grams of iron, just, just to throw a number out there. Okay. I, that could be completely inaccurate. Yeah, fair. If, if you, if you pick a, a spinach leaf and you run the test on it, it only has two grams of iron in it, then that, that spinach is not going to be as healthy for you as this one that has five grams of iron in it. Mm-hmm. And so it might, you know, two grams of iron versus five grams of iron. That's, you know, it's, it's only got 40% of the usual iron. And so like they may market it differently than, than the one that's healthier for you. I mean, like that's kind of how they can determine on average, you know, what, like, like, you, you know, like, you know, they say like, you know, you should eat oranges cause it's high in vitamin C or you should eat spinach cause it's high in iron, or you should eat, you know, uh, like carrots cause it's high in beta carotene. And that's, you know, that is a synthesizer for vitamin A and all this kind of stuff. You're told that stuff and you're told to believe it, but you don't really know why that stuff is true. Mm-hmm. And, and there's actually, it's, it's really cool. There's physical signs that you can use to tell if something has, has a good amount of minerals in it or not, or Ooh. vitamins. Um, mm. so like, for example, carrots and pumpkins, the reason they're orange is because they're high in vitamin A. That's just how they are. Mm-hmm. So a carrot or pumpkin that's not super orange, if it's kind of yellowy, it's probably not going to be as high in vitamin A. Um, which this is another interesting side, side note. Uh, do you know why, uh, milk is white? I actually don't know. So milk is white for the same reason. Your bones are white. It's high in calcium. <laughs> and so, I didn't mean to clap. <laughs> no, uh, no, that was good. Um, but yeah, so so you know, your milk is high in calcium, so it's white. There's actually a milk that, that's produced by a particular breed of dairy cow called an Ayrshire that's yellow. Do you know why? Oh, oh I don't like it. Um, is it <laughs> is it vitamin A? It is. It's high in it's beta carotene, and so it's got the same stuff in it that carrots and pumpkins do. So it turns kind of a yellowy orange color, which is weird. But it, there's actually a market for it apparently. Um, but Maybe as an to, ingredient, it right? Would be a good, you know, I would <laughs> want to drink a glass of yellow milk, <laughs> right? And so that's you know that's that's the that's the way they're able to tell is you know certain certain fruits and vegetables are a certain coloration or they have certain physical appearances because of what 
you know, minerals and vitamins are available in them. If you look at a tree and it's, and its leaves are kind of, uh, you know, they have yellow spots on them or like you can actually like see the veins of the leaves really well and the rest of the, the rest of the leaf isn't that green. It usually has a mineral deficiency of, of some kind. Yeah, chlorophyll on, usually, right? Right, it could be chlorophyll. Um, and, and usually what happens is chlorophyll won't function properly if it doesn't have the, the nutrient content it, it desires. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so it might be calcium deficient or it might be magnesium deficient. And so you can look at the leaves and say, oh, that has this deficiency. Like, you know, that was actually something that I was taught when I was younger is you, look, you can look at a citrus tree and say if it has a zinc deficiency or an iron deficiency or whatever and that tells you okay i need to put this fertilizer onto this tree that way i can get this this nutrient that's missing and so looking at the fruit afterwards you can tell because like if you look at an orange that's vibrant and, and it's got like that bright orange color and all that kind of stuff it usually tastes better because it usually has a higher nutrient content whereas when we're just all yellow and kind of saggy and gross it's not going to have as much nutrient content and that's why it's not as stable Hmm. Wow. And so, okay. I said, I lied. I said the last one was my last one, but this one is for real. <laughs> okay. Um, so on that subject, mm-hmm. are fruits and vegetables getting healthier or are they getting less healthy as a whole? That, so as a whole, I would, I would say that they're getting healthier. Yes. Because nice. we have a better way of figuring out how to invest that kind of nutrient nutrition into him. And so through crossbreeding through genetic modification and through just, you know, a better understanding of what to look for, they're much more nutrient dense. Nice. Um, you'll, you'll notice why there's a lot more foods that are be considered superfoods now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, back in the day, a superfood, there was like one or two. Now there's like a bunch of superfoods, you know, you got mm-hmm. kale and you've got, it's like spinach is almost a superfood. Yeah. Blueberries. Um, you know, even milk is considered a superfood. Um, yes, that, that one was, that, that's, that's always a plain one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like, there's, there's a lot of foods that are considered superfood because for one, the nutrient, uh, you know, the nutrient density is getting, is increasing and we're, we're finding new and better ways to find how many nutrients are in a particular food. So yes, foods are getting healthier. Wow. You're a really good teacher. <laughs> Thanks. That's uh, actually what I'm studying. <laughs> oh, really? I'm, st- oh, I'm, at, so yeah, I'm in college right now to be a teacher. So, uh, elementary school, high school, agriculture. Teacher, oh, so. you're brave. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's so exciting. Oh, thank you so much for, for teaching me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. You had, you asked some great questions. Thank you. I, I like to think <laughs> of myself as a good question asker. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we close out, I'd like to give you the chance to remind people who you are. And if you want to plug anything, you're more than welcome to. All right, cool. Thank you, Brendan. Um, so I am Kara Fernstrom, and I'm actually the host of a podcast that I do that is is a very similar format. Uh, let me not quite. I usually ask the questions, but it's the same idea where it's about happiness and well-being, and I just want to make it more accessible for people. Same same reasoning, you know. There's a lot of high-level jargon, <laughs> and uh, and I'd like to take away some of that and and bring happiness and wellness into people's lives better. And so that's called the conquest of bliss. And you can find it under that name on, you know, like a lot of places. And I'm not going <laughs> to list them all. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll put all your links down in the description and everything too, to tell you people can find you uh, easier. Um, before we close out, is there anything else you wanted to add or you have any other questions? Oh, I have so many questions, but <laughs> I, I just, I, I can't, I can't, I don't. We, we might need to do a part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would absolutely come back and ask you so many more questions. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I just, again, thank you so much. I'm so honored that you took the time to teach me and, and help me to understand. And it's just so exciting. And I'm going to tell everybody all the things I've learned and share this with everyone. <laughs> well, that's the whole goal. This is, you know, if you can just get one person talking about it, then everyone else hears about it. And that's, you know, the whole, the whole, whole purpose of the podcast isn't to expand, it's to expand the knowledge, you know, it's to get people to talk mm-hmm. about this more. So yes, yes. Same, <laughs> same, same. And awesome. then I, I guess I do have one question, but it's not agriculture related. All right. It's, 
your hat says egg venture yes. is that merch uh, so it's not my merch. Um, oh, okay. I, I wish that it was. Uh, so we have a, in my hometown of Tulare, which is about an hour south of where I'm at right now in smack dab middle of California, we have what's called the International Agri Center. It's, it's, we host a, a, um, a, what do you call it? Kind of like a, it's massive exposition. It's called the World Ag Expo. And okay. basically people come from all around the world to visit and they like, you know, learn all about agriculture, what we're doing. You know, they have like, we have technology expositions. People can see the new tech that's coming out in, in ag. Uh, we have farmers from, you know, Italy, Sweden, Germany, like all over the place. I've met people from all around the world that have been at this thing and I go every year. And there is a branch of the International Agri Center that focuses on education for young kids, like, like K through eight. And yeah. they're called Ag Ventures. And so, um, I used to volunteer and help out with the adventures team. And I used to help record videos for them and create a little educational content. And the, they're, they're a one man department or a, technically a one woman department. Uh, the woman who runs it, her name's Carissa. She's been on the show before. She's awesome. And so she's helped me out a lot with kind of my, you know, my, my progress as, as an educational content creator. And I've helped her a lot, kind of develop her, her department some more. So she gave me a free hat. That is so dope. And did, <laughs> okay. Do they live stream it at all? No, um, we, we do have the videos available, but I'll have to see, cause like, there's like some permission issues with, with it being owned mm. by, by that you know, organization. Fair so enough. I have to check in and see if I can get access to them. But yeah, we, we have, we did, we definitely have done quite a bit of work on, on that stuff. I wish we did, did more live streams and that kind of stuff. I think it'd be fun, but yeah, maybe next year because of the whole COVID thing, they'll start live streaming the conference. That would be super cool. Yeah, I will say, okay. So I do have videos on my YouTube from it. Okay. Um, I, I did, uh, cause I got invited to be part of the media team, uh, two years in a row. And so oh. I got to come on and interview all the vendors that were there. And so it was, it was awesome. So That's I have a real adventure. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I had, I had tons of videos of me interviewing different farmers and technologists and engineers and all these people from all around the world, uh, as they kind of sold their product. And so I, I got, I got to post those on, on YouTube. So if you guys are looking for more information about the world Ag expo, then check out my YouTube and you can, you can find it there. That's sick. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that kind of wraps it up here. You know, thanks again, Kara, for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm more than, more than happy to have you back on for another episode sometime. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thanks to all my listeners for tuning in and for all the support you guys have given me all this time. It's sure been a blast and hope to see you guys on next week. And don't forget if you eat today, thank a farmer. <laughs>